0: You can listen to The Professional Left on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or at our website, professionalleft.blogspot.com, where you can also contribute to this podcast. There's a PayPal button at our website, or you can mail us a letter and or contribution at P.O. Box 9133, Springfield, Illinois, 62791.
1: This is the podcast for May 27th, 2016. It's not safe for work.
0: Recorded live from the nearly deserted set of Jennifer Rubin's third-party dating game. It's The Professional Left with Drift Glass and Blue Gal.
1: Bachelor number three.
0: There is no Bachelor number three.
1: Yes, it's Mitt Romney.
0: They're all Mitt Romney. <laughs> Except they're all cardboard cutouts of Mitt Romney because <laughs> Mitt Romney doesn't want to play your stupid game. I lost twice already. Why would I set myself on fire a third time? Because some crazy in the Washington Post wants me to. Yeah. No. Yep. Jennifer, Jennifer Rubin's at his doggy door just scratching and scratching.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Throwing little pebbles at his window.
1: Yeah. Oost. She
0: is. And And security is starting to get nervous, you know. She's out there a lot.
1: Jennifer Rubin, she's kind of a yeah. stalker, Mitt. Yeah. Jennifer, who? <laughs> yeah,
0: she's uh, gotten into she's gotten into the, gotten into the uh, car elevator again. Could uh, uh, could somebody uh, get her a cab and a sandwich and show her on her way? Because <sighs> Mitt don't want to play. In case you don't know, Jennifer Rubin has once again scolded Mitt Romney. Uh, your excuses are useless, Mitt. You've run out of excuses. No more excuse for you not to run as a third party candidate. Just basically, you know, complete her. Because, of course, Donald Trump is uh, an awful, insane, mm-hmm. neo-fascist, lunatic, racist who is a, a blight on the country. Mm-hmm. But Hillary Clinton uh, is also terrible.
1: Yeah, uh, I loved, I loved the comment that someone left at your blog this week. Yep. About, um, and this, this was assuming that Bernie Sanders is out of the race. I want to make sure we're always very kind of clear about that, that this comment did assume that. Yes. Um, that uh, the three candidates for president are Donald Trump, Republican candidate. Right. Imaginary monster Hillary Clinton, Republican yes. invented candidate.
2: <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> and the real flawed Democrat, Hillary Clinton. Yes. And... and we can talk about her flaws for hours, you yes. know, if you want to spend your time doing that. Right. But those are the, two of them are Republican responsibilities and inventions. Right. And, right. Uh, you know, that's that is the case. So um, Jennifer Rubin's fantasy that, you know, there needs to be a Mitt Romney third party is really uh, ignoring the fact, I think, that there is a third party running. Mm-hmm. Um and, and I wouldn't vote for them, but I do really think that Gary Johnson and William Weld together on the uh-huh. Libertarian ticket gives all those country club Republicans an out Yes. Um, to say, yeah, I'm, I don't have to vote Democratic. Uh, I can still split my ticket and uh, vote for common sense conservatism in terms of fiscal blah, 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 mm-hmm. and predictability. And, you know, a certain amount of sanity in terms of, quote, unquote, governing uh, without um, needing to vote for Trump. So yeah, well, and and this I, is the corner. I see that I see that as unfolding. Excuse me. I just want to say sure. one more thing, which is yeah. Gary Johnson has really dialed down the crazy this year in his interviews. I mean, I, yeah. he, he wasn't that bad, I didn't think before, but um, I really have noticed that he uh, is aware that this is an opportunity to raise the profile of his party and he's going to take advantage of that. So, mm-hmm.
0: um, he still I, gets his haircut where Trey Gowdy gets his lawnmower. That's fine.
1: But, but yeah,
0: yeah, he's, he, well he's succeeding in a way by taking the libertarianism out of the libertarian party, <laughs> yeah. which, okay. I mean, you know, I, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't besmirch his intentions. Or his principles. I, um,
1: I do, actually. I, I besmirch his principles because I don't think the Libertarian Party is particularly where government should go.
0: Uh, let me – let me. I don't doubt his principles.
1: No, okay. I don't doubt I his think, sincerity. I think they're silly. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. I think yeah. libertarianism is a fine idea factory.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, it is a disaster to try to run a country as a libertarian yeah. exercise. Somalia has tried that. <laughs> and everything's going great, so move to Somalia. You'll enjoy it. Yeah. No government. Everyone has guns. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, but as a um, as a governing philosophy, you really sort of this is the, and you saw this with um, both Paul Ryan and uh, uh, Paul Ryan especially, um, mm-hmm. who and and Rand Paul to yeah. a certain extent, yep. who were Randite and Rand Randite libertarian uh, children,
1: nut jobs. Yep,
0: raised on this stuff. Okay, and. Became Republicans mm-hmm. because you know slashing government, destroying government, getting government out of everything is the libertarian ultimate ideal, mm-hmm. um, in in a sense. And I realize I'm oversimplifying, but they joined parties that were heavily influenced and still are by extreme right wing conservative Christians. Yeah, yeah. Who all kinds of things that Ayn Rand explicitly said were crazy, mm-hmm. were evil. And we're just as bad as communism and 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 bullshit.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, she was real clear. Anti-religion,
1: pro-abortion. She was asked
0: asked by I forget Mike Wallace saying, Are you you know you're uh, you're here to undo the work of Jesus? Is that right? She goes, Yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm here to get rid of religion. Religion is a disaster. Religion is every bit as awful as Soviet communism. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. It's it's mind control. She really felt like it was mind control, and it deprived people of liberty.
0: Yeah. And the two great villains of her stories were always. Organized religion, mm-hmm. people who defied science and, and put you know yoke on the mind of man in the name of God, and collectivist socialist, blah 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 blah. Those, Government, those, yeah, yeah, And so both Paul Ryan, who used to give his staff um, copies of Atlas Shrugged, of to Atlas read,
1: shrugged.
0: <laughs> had to pretend that literally half of everything Ayn Rand ever wrote. Never happened or yeah. that he wasn't talking about that side of the tracks because he well, had to... and he
1: had to really dial it back when evangelicals came to his office and said, you realize how offended we are yeah. by your Ayn Rand insanity, you know, sure. because we we want. You to find abortion illegal. We want right. we you know and and she she thought hey it's your body do whatever you want. Ninth month, aborted eight months. Yeah, <laughs> you
0: it's your body. You and yeah. you're you're not responsible for that that thing growing inside of you until it you know until right. it becomes a living child outside of you. Period. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was real clear about that. Wrote yeah. about it many times. So it is not the first time that principled libertarians have had to lie, mm-hmm. and flagrantly mm-hmm. lie about mm-hmm. what they believe to appeal to a constituency who would otherwise reject them completely. Right. right. Oh, don't worry. All that's, you know, and, and, and so they're doing it again. Yeah. They're, you know, the, the, this time it's the other end of the spectrum. It's the libertarian party that's saying, hey, it's OK, man. We're cool. We just want to talk about weed and government overreach. And it's beautiful. Yeah. And OK, that's
1: fine. But we see, believe- that means that their political instincts are better than Donald yeah. Trump's. Oh, yeah. And their political instincts to realize that the Republican Party has lost its mind and lost the, you know, there are no reins on their candidate whatsoever. Right. Uh, we can provide an alternative. Um, raises the pr- – and I don't think the either either Weld or Johnson thinks they're going to win the election. No. Which is not the point. They are looking to replace uh, the Republican Party in large part, and see this as an opportunity. Yeah,
0: like the Republicans did with the Whigs, they're looking to displace them and and render them homeless. This is what the No Labels uh, liars and frauds wanted to do. One of the reasons why. yeah, I mean, one of the big giveaways for, for what a complete fraud no labels are was first giving a problem-solver award to Donald Trump like eight months ago.
2: <laughs> yes, right. <You> know, because
0: <laughs> please take us seriously. Because their whole, their, if, you're un, if you're unfamiliar with the no labels scam, obviously, this is the first time you've listened to this podcast, since we've mentioned it four or five times before in the past. But it's just a fraud. It's a place where blue dog Democrats and all those um, David Brooks Republicans have sort of Gathered to pretend that they have that they're really interested in just pragmatic centrist solutions to America's problems, and they get a lot of money because there are a lot of shut-in delusional <laughs> oligarchs who live in New York who really want America to be a, a uh, the problems of America to be equally distributed to both sides. Mm-hmm. So, no mm-hmm. label simply was invented to tell these morons with tons of money and lots of media access uh, what they wanted to hear, which is what if the extremes on both sides. Um, but they don't have a political philosophy. That's the thing. Libertarians can actually tell you what they believe and why they believe it, and there's there's a structure to it. You might disagree with it. I disagree with a lot of it, but there's something there. No labels is just what do you what do I need to tell you to give you to have you give me money? Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. remember that one of the first endorsers of Donald Trump was John Huntsman.
1: Right. Right. So
0: I mean, no labels is an. an, an I'm talking to you, Michael Steele. You, Mr. Unger, who pairs with Michael Steele. Uh, David Brooks, Joe Lieberman, all the rest of the clowns who gathered in that club, who are making, who who exist because there are billionaires who are rich enough and deluded enough
2: mm-hmm.
0: and sucker enough mm-hmm. to underwrite this entire project because they want their worldview to be true, even yeah. though it's flagrantly not. So that that leaves us with Republicans looking the the elite Republicans, the funder, the funding Republicans, looking for some place to go, which brings us. Probably in a roundabout way, too. All the way with LBJ.
1: Yeah. And we want to highly recommend, if you have not seen it yet, that you drop everything this long weekend. Yes. Uh, And uh, if you have HBO, go and watch this movie All the Way, which is about uh, Johnson, Lyndon Johnson. Lyndon Baines Johnson. And it is played... Uh, Brian Cranston plays Lyndon Johnson in an amazing way, and it's it's a wonderful bit of acting, but oh my God, the makeup is just astonishingly good. Uh, I can't, I mean, they really have gotten to the point, I think, with makeup where it is, you know, um, Mission Impossible. Yeah. They have some sort of mask that just <laughs> whips around in a, in a little case and makes rubber that Goes over your face and makes you look like somebody else. I mean, the ears, the forehead, all it's, of it. It it's
0: just it's flawless. Flawless. It's, I mean, you can still see um, him in there if you look.
1: The eyes, yeah, yeah.
0: But, you can tell. But and, and here's the thing. It's, this is and this is how highly I would recommend it. It is is a Steven Spielberg production mm-hmm. or property, mm-hmm. and it's exactly for Johnson what Lincoln the movie was for Lincoln.
1: Yep. Yep. It is, uh,
0: including Daniel Day Lewis. Looking oh, a hell and sounding a hell of a lot like people imagine Lincoln sounded.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean,
0: mm-hmm. just astonishingly accurate. Yep. Uh, but it's picking one moment in this person's career mm-hmm. that was a mm-hmm. defining and important moment for lots of reasons. And yep. saying we're not going to do a whole biopic about it. It
1: takes picture. it from the Kennedy assassination through the election of 1964. And yep. that's
0: it. That's it. And it's amazing. Uh, it's amazing j- for reasons that we will now um, explicate.
1: Well, yeah, and no, we we aren't really spoiling because this is American history. <laughs> Spoiler,
0: Martin Luther King makes a surprise appearance in this.
1: Yes, Martin Luther King pushes yeah. back a lot on, on Lyndon Johnson and has to work with Lyndon Johnson and then has to work with Stokely Carmichael and then has to go work with, you know, and figure out how to make, uh, how to get his people to work with Johnson. Right. Um, as opposed to rioting over uh, Mississippi burning, basically,
0: and it shows and, what. And I mean this in the highest possible praising way. Mm-hmm. Uh, setting aside his his moral authority and his gifts as an orator and his gifts as an organizer, Martin Luther King was a really good politician. Yep. And I mean, yep. really, I mean that very. Com-
1: and Johnson is too. I mean, and- both of them. That's that to me. That Johnson and King. And then a little bit of Hubert Humphrey in there, too, as sort of the go between. So the liberal, the white liberal who uh, I mean, part of the beauty of this is, you know, what happens to all of these people. Right. Um, But at this moment in time, he is the white liberal who is pushing Johnson from a white perspective uh, towards civil rights. Right. And has the unions who are who you don't realize I didn't know this really <laughs> until until our funding the... Martin Luther King, the yep. white unions up in Minnesota are funding Martin Luther King. yep And so Johnson can get on the phone with the unions and say, you tell King to uh, go along with what we want to do with this civil rights bill. Mm-hmm. We're not going to do voting rights until after the election yep. and, uh, you know, get in line or and and. Yes, sir. You know, the unions go to King and say, and they're on a tarmac, right? They're just talking, they aren't going to talk to King in in one of their buildings. Right. They're not going to invite him anywhere. No, no. (laughs) But outside on a tarmac, they tell him, you know, you go back to your people and tell them to get in line or your money's gone. Right. And King has to compromise. And then Johnson has to compromise. Boy, does Yeah. And then, and then, and then. And uh, I loved how uh, the Gulf of Tonkin comes into
0: yes, this. Yes, yes.
1: You know? uh, this roiling you know,
0: thing happening in Vietnam. The, but... Yeah,
1: and, and this thing is going to—we know what's going to happen. We exactly. know how this is going to be a horrible war that, that can't end, and Johnson's, it hangs around Johnson's neck. Uh, it's only, I think, within the past five years or so that uh, we've come to appreciate Johnson more. Mm-hmm. And 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 not just thought of him as the president who brought us Vietnam. Yeah. Um, This movie, I don't think could have been made 20 years ago because nope. there was so much anger and hostility towards Johnson over Vietnam. Well, and, and after you, please. But you see in this the Gulf of Tonkin, uh, he has to make up something to get Congress to pass a resolution so he can go with no evidence whatsoever mm-hmm. and bomb. Uh, the North Vietnamese, because there's this, fa- well, we, we think there's an attack, but we're not sure, but we yeah. don't know, but maybe there is. Do you have any evidence? Well, we have sonar, but it's not really evidence. And he said, you know what? We have to do it because um, Goldwater, you know, will come back at me, and I'm in the election of my lifetime. Mm-hmm. Uh, he will come back at me and say, I'm soft on communism. I'm soft on war. I'm, I'm weak. And his whole campaign, Johnson's, or Goldwater's whole campaign is, uh, we're not fighting communism enough. Right. Right?
0: Right. We will do whatever we have to do, including nuke the bastards.
1: Right.
2: If we need to. The
1: war on communism is, and of course, Martin Luther King's a communist, and there's communists infiltrate all the kind of crap that... Republicans do today. This,
0: the, exactly, <laughs> all the shit, all the well, you, know, you can't trust Martin Luther King. He's a communist. Everybody's He's a, a communist. communist. <laughs> everyone who disagrees with me is a communist.
1: He's a Muslim. Yeah, He's. I, a...
0: <laughs> and believe me, I know people like that.
1: Yeah, who have yeah. been
0: that way since those days and right. have never given up their belief that everyone to the left of me is a communist. Right. And right. they don't, and they pass that along to their kids like hemophilia. Yep. And yep. This the thing that that was that was wonderful about it. Um, This is Lincoln was not Lincoln, the marble statue. Mm -hmm. This was this. This was a politician, a a, a often petty, whiny, depressed, uh, small minded politician Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. who also had a grand vision for his country Mm -hmm. and really did believe in. he was responsible for gutting civil rights legislation. Yeah. You know, six, eight years before he had been he had been fully on the side of the segregationists. Mm-hmm. Uh and, mm-hmm. and now he's in a position where he can actually do something. And LBJ has to lie to everybody.
1: And he's good at it. He's <laughs>
0: really good at it. And he has to coax and threaten and cajole and and mm-hmm. give up portions mm-hmm. of one bill so that it can actually pass. Mm-hmm. He has to take his own mentor and stab him in the back and and humiliate him in front of his people. And you see these contending forces. You see two groups that are absolutely categorically opposed to each other you see dick russell and strom thurmond
1: saying which, the n-word on the floor of the congress yeah. yep who were yep
0: and and among and among the segregationists you had the genteel uncle dick who was, <laughs> who was lbj's mentor
1: yeah who wouldn't say the n-word maybe who was, who was you know very patrician very uh, yeah. The Negroes yeah are
0: very put upon that's true but segregation is the way of the world and then of course you had the strom thurmond's who were like fuck it no f- no yeah. uh-uh, absolutely not the 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 n words are never going to get anywhere in this country. I've buried enough segregation bills. I'm going to bury them until the end of time. Mm-hmm. And who was just vicious, hateful people?
1: While an African American is shining his shoes, he's saying that to his colleagues
0: because he's right. just property. He's just right. He's nothing. Right. And you had LBJ caught between Goldwater mm-hmm. and um, Wallace.
1: Yeah. Who
0: yeah. was kicking his ass because Martin Luther King had his people. He was trying to keep in check, and there were riots happening. And every time there was a riot, Wallace got stronger. Yes, and so there were all these contending forces that were out to rip each other apart. And in the middle, you had these deeply flawed. I, Johnson was a racist, absolutely to his to his bones. He was a racist, mm-hmm. but he saw what the future looked like, and he wanted that. He wanted to be remembered as the guy who 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 made his country great, and he played every instrument in the orchestra. He could threaten people, he could wheedle them, he could promise them projects, he could take things away, and then suddenly he'd round a corner, he'd tell a dirty joke to Martin Luther King, yep. and then he'd round a corner and grab um, Everett Dirksen, Yeah. you know, yeah. By, by, practically by the lapels going, don't you want to be a great man?
1: Yeah, you, here, here, are, here, have my cufflinks. Yeah, no, <laughs> well, don't you, don't you
0: want to be remembered in history yeah. as a great man, or do you want to remember it as somebody who did nothing, who was a nobody? And really, just a, he knew exactly where the pressure points were. Yeah. But and it and was. And it is
1: because of LBJ's pushing that Everett Dirksen's name is all over federal buildings yeah. all over the country.
0: <laughs> and why there's a road and you know why we live six miles from you know Dirksen. Dirksen Parkway. Parkway. Yeah. Parkway.
1: Yep. I mean, this, yep. this
0: is no accident. Yeah. But it yeah. was, and of course, the core of the bill was voting rights. Yeah, and they had to take it out, and that yeah. was like the, the King and Martin Luther King's people were like, "Well, screw it, you can't trust this guy." Yeah, And, yeah. and But it was a matter of two men, King and Johnson, understanding each other and coming and I, to a consensus and willing to trust each other because if the, either one had had done anything other than what they did, each one of their careers would have been in ashes.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and I think one of the parts of history that isn't taught in the grade schools anymore, or it never was. Uh, that's in this movie and is really important is um, Walter Jenkins, who is uh, Johnson's closest aide, very close to uh, Lady Bird, very close to uh, LBJ. He'd been with LBJ for Forever. 25 years yeah, and very trusted. And it turns out he was gay. And uh, he was married and Catholic and had four kids and, you know, mm-hmm. Because it was 1964, uh, very much in the closet, mm-hmm. um, but got arrested during yep. this period in time in a washroom for mm-hmm. uh, making a pass. Yep. And uh, the the reaction, um, you know, Johnson just can't believe it and can't see him anymore and uh, forces him to resign and won't mm-hmm. say anything hmm and, uh, and his wife. Uh, his, his ladybird, wife. which this is all well, very she, accurate, yeah. you know, said, you know, I'm not going to abandon my friend. Yeah, he's and, my friend. And you know her hairdresser and her gardener <laughs> and her interior decorator and her shoe, the picker-outer, and everybody else, yeah. you know. She's been around. She's not stupid. <laughs>
0: right. She's a, she's a political professional as well. She's she has a been Texas around the block.
1: woman who has a lot of men around her helping her look good and helping her house look good. And she knows better than to ask, you know? Right. And, uh, what was amazing to me in going back and researching, you know, the, this is all in the story of how she went and wrote a public letter to the family of Jenkins saying, you know, how much she cared about him
2: mm-hmm.
1: and, and in spite of Johnson saying, first lady can't be involved in that sort of thing. You know, she said, I'm not going to let go, go my friend too bad. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, she was, she could be tough when she wanted to be tough. Um, but I went and did a little research on this in Wikipedia, um, and I thought this was really interesting for 1964. Goldwater mm-hmm. tried to make it an issue. Right. Uh, he just his offices distributed bumper stickers and buttons bearing slogans like "LBJ Light Bulb Jenkins," no wonder he turned the lights out. Uh huh. And all the way with LBJ, but don't go near the YMCA. Uh
2: huh. Catchy. And
1: yeah. And uh, during the remainder of the campaign, Goldwater occasionally alluded to the scandals. He would refer to Johnson's curious crew who would run the country. Ha, 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 ha. Yeah. And then in his autobiography much later, he lied about it. Yes. And Goldwater said, I decided not to make the incident a campaign issue. It was a sad time for Jenkins' wife and children. I was not about to add to their private sorrow. Yeah. Winning isn't everything. Yeah, like you didn't yeah. lose by a huge landslide. <laughs> Winning isn't everything when you're losing at nineteen sixty four levels. Yeah.
0: Well then something about um, that Churchill quote of Winston Churchill, history will be kind to me because I intend to write it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well that's yeah, Johnson. What yeah, amazingly
0: right. in, in Goldwater's biography, he was a much more noble he man was a
1: good guy, right. And uh Theodore White, you know, who wrote about the campaign of sixty four, wrote about campaigns throughout yeah. the sixties and seventies. Uh, said about this incident, the most amazing of all events in the campaign of 1964 is that the nation faced this fact of of Jenkins being homosexual, right. faced mm-hmm. the fact fully and shrugged its shoulders. Yep, it Didn't just care. wasn't an issue.
2: Didn't, and
1: there were bigger uh, issues. There were, there were bigger issues, but also, you know. I, We we can all look back in 2020 hindsight and realize, yeah, Johnson kicked him out the minute he found out. He
2: did. He did. So there was
1: no, you know. So they shrugged their shoulders because homosexuals get arrested, Uh they get shamed, and they get fired, and and they go to jail. And they go to jail. They go to
0: jail. I mean, this is illegal in in possibly every state, but certainly most states. And
1: that and that that again is also something that we really need to remember how far we've come. I really hope that everyone watches this and realizes. Oh, my God, how far have we come? How far we have still to go? There's so many lessons in this movie about um, human beings having to push and pull against each other Mm -hmm. to make things work. Right. And how hard it is to say, you know, I know exactly what's right. I know exactly what we need to do. And income equality is bad, so let's fix it. Yeah. You know, and, and think, okay, you know. As I said, as I said before, my kids think that gay marriage happened in six months. (laughs) Right. 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 They do. They think.
0: And and, and a couple of other lessons um, Mm -hmm. to take away from this is how ruthless a Mm -hmm. really good politician has to be.
1: Yep. Yep. And arrogant and really arrogant.
0: Just absolutely thoroughly ruthless. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, he's Mm -hmm. willing to compromise, willing to compromise. and And then Dirksen comes to him and says, and here's what, here's what more you have to do. And he says, nope, nope. Yeah. I'm going to make you side with the segregationists. And that's yeah. that'll be your legacy. How, how do you like that? Mm-hmm. And really bullied him into going along. And the idea that Johnson didn't talk, for example, it, since you bring it up, about income inequality. No. He talked about being dirt poor. Yeah. I was poor. My family was broke. We lost everything. I had to be in the cotton fields on my hands and knees yeah. like a mule.
1: Because he's and, a survivor of the Depression. Yeah. yeah.
0: And, and he says, and people in this country still live in the worst kind of poverty. Mm-hmm. I used to, And he said, I used I. I had the only job I could get was teaching in a little border town, and I loved those kids. And it was the hardest thing in the world to watch the. He light. loved
1: those. He loved those, wetbacks, is those what he wet said. bags. Those like, <laughs> yeah, little wet bags. <laughs> yeah, I love my little wet bags.
0: And he said the hardest thing in the world is watching the light. These kids who love to learn light die in their eyes. Yep. When you realize the world hates them just because of the color of their skin. Yeah. yeah. And that is not discussing income inequality as yeah. an abstraction, but right. I was I was that person. I was poor. I lived a horribly deprived life and I'm going to make sure as long as I have power to do so that nobody lives that way again. Mm
2: -hmm. And Mm
0: -hmm. there's a certain raw commitment and and deeply flawed, Mm -hmm. tragically flawed character who made horrid mistakes and and really killed his own legacy. Mm -hmm. But this moment in history is such a wonderful um, illustration of how deeply imperfect people who should hate each other. And would have hated each other five years before. Mm -hmm. Find a way to build a coalition, very fragile coalition to get something enormous done Mm -hmm. as everyone in the world is pulling and pushing against them because they're better and smarter than people. And they know what they know which way history is going. History is Mm -hmm. not going towards Donald Trump. Yep. Yep. America is not going in that direction. Yeah. A great number of Americans want to march backwards into the past,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but that's mm-hmm. not the direction history is taking. And and the person who can articulate that and explain to the American people, no, we're going this way.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And but, we're, and the lost souls, and that's just too goddamn bad. But mm-hmm. they have they made their choice, and we're going to bring along with us. And a generation from now, people will laugh at them. But for now, screw them. We're not going to worry about them. We're going to go this way.
1: Yep. And and the. The idea that as liberals, there are going to be people all the time in every election, in every White House, in every situation who are going to disappoint us.
0: Every time. Every, every single time. time.
1: Mm-hmm. They will, no human politician ever will live up to our ideals. No. Because they can't.
0: So, what exactly? And so, what are you willing to give up mm-hmm. to get the other things you want? What are you mm-hmm. willing to choke down? Are you willing to you know give up? Are you willing to give up voting rights during this bill with mm-hmm. a promise the next time you know next time around we'll do civil rights? Yep. yep. Um,
1: you is know that, is that good enough? Mm-hmm.
0: And yep. and Johnson gave up his best friend. Johnson yeah. betrayed his best friend and political mentor and the man he loved more than anyone in the world stabbed him in the back. Yep. Lost the South for it. Not a generation, but three generations so far um, yep. to get this yep. one thing done. Yep. Because it was worth it, and it, those are that's you know this is why politics is amazing and wonderful <laughs> and uh, the best game in town. Yeah. But it's also really bitter.
1: You well, know. Yeah. And you, and you know I understand the people who just can't imagine looking at Hillary Clinton as president for four years. That to them that is just such an anathema, and it reminds me so much of Humphrey. Yeah. Because. Yep. Humphrey had to stand beside Johnson and defend the war. Right. You know, and, and he was a betrayer of the unions in certain strike situations. He was. And... uh And he, you know, he he did not live up to the ideals of the left in the 1960s. Mm -hmm. That said, today, we would love to have 50 Humphreys in the Senate. (laughs) Please Please. let us have 50 Humphreys and 51 Humphreys, you know, 60 Humphreys in the Senate. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have to think about, uh, you know, the the folks that that are really disturbed about Hillary Clinton's possibility of her presidency. Yes. Yes. do you, do you want so you're willing to say yeah it's okay to deport 11 million immigrants it's all right to ban Muslims
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know Trump came out and said XL pipeline yeah you yeah. know deregulation of fossil fuels, fuels yeah and by the way gay rights let's leave that up to the states right and next O-M-G. week it will
0: be a whole bunch of different things he and says and be that something are,
1: else yeah they're opposite or maybe he opposite reads in, right the New York Post or wherever he is what it mm-hmm. reads here's on, on right wing radio. You know he'll he'll go with the wind and I uh, and gotta can, decide.
0: And you can open up that refrigerator as often as you like.
1: Mhm.
0: But the same stuff is in there.
1: And drones, drift glass, yeah, drones.
0: I know, but and as, as I, many <laughs> as many times as you might want to open that uh, yep. that refrigerator, mm-hmm. and the magic Reagan cake is in there. Yeah. If you are mm. if you're a Republican. Oh, oh, is there is there any Reagan cake? No, it's just Trump. Oh, are you mm-hmm. sure there's no Reagan? No, there's really no Reagan cake in here. It's just Trump. And if you're on the left. You know, is, is there, is there, is is LBJ in there? The good LBJ is Roosevelt. Mm -hmm. Is it Roosevelt? No, no, just pretty much. It's Hillary uh, or Bernie Sanders. Um, Those are your two choices. And uh, those are the only two choices you have. And they're narrowing very quickly. And you can sit and be unhappy with those choices. And Lord knows I have been, but those are the choices. And if you get to November and you cannot bring yourself to, to pull a lever for anybody because it just galls you then that's fine. You are making a decision. Mm-hmm. You are making a decision about who, def- by default, you are okay with being president of your country. And just know that going in.
1: And, and I, I do think, though, Dricklass, that people can vote strategically. Sure. And by November, by the day that it is time to pull that lever.
0: Yep. Some states will be out each,
1: of each people Each person will know whether their vote is critical to a yep. Democratic win or not. Yeah. And you and I have talked about that. I voted for Nader in Alabama yeah. in 2000 Just, because hey, yeah. It's going to go to Bush anyway. It doesn't matter. My vote can be a statement of conscience. Mm-hmm. And for some people that is the case. Uh so yeah, I think I think it is okay to vote strategically. I think it is mm-hmm. okay to make a statement. With your vote, uh, knowing whether or not your state is going to contribute to an electoral win for the other side or not. So um, there is that.
0: I used to joke with a late friend of mine Mm -hmm. um, uh, that his tombstone will read, But I Was Right.
1: Yeah. He
0: liked, he he passed away last year. Um, He liked, we used to hang out in Chicago, especially in the late evenings. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the many things he would do is just sort of walk into traffic because those oh. those fuckers should stop. And I'm like, yeah. one of these days, one of them is not going to stop. And you will have the satisfaction of going to your grave knowing you were right. Yep. Yeah, you got hit by that, that truck, but you were right. And mm-hmm. that's important. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure all of your friends will gather on the gravesite and say, well, he was right. Mm-hmm. But he was right. You know, that's the thing. He was right. Um, speaking of people who need to be right all the time.
1: <laughs> you want to talk about David Brooks?
0: I, just a sort of a, or Andrew a, Sullivan. a pastiche of all the people <laughs> who are currently doing exactly what we on the professional left uh, have been predicting they will do and said they will do, and mm-hmm. sort of forecasting uh, on my blog 10 years ago what they would do mm-hmm. uh, if confronted with these various situations. Um,
1: By the way, huh? um, I, I, I did want to share with you, Driftglass, that John Bolton. Oh, oh decided to open his pie hole today and make a, a strong stand in favor of dropping atomic bombs on Japan in the forties. Yeah. Well, that's good for him because, uh, you know, Barack Obama is apologizing for America again yeah. at Hiroshima. Yes. <laughs> I,
0: I saw, <laughs> I saw a very similar article by, uh, one of the nine people that always get passed around in crackpot wingnut, uh, emails. Yeah. Victor yeah. Davis Hanson, uh, <laughs> You know, professor of classic literature or the classics, who knows about the Greek and Romans, uh, and who was a very big prop- proponent of the Iraq War until George Bush messed it all up. Uh, who is still, for some reason, is people ask him to write about things. Mm-hmm. And I wrote a long column about Hiroshima and how Hiroshima wasn't America's fault. How you know there was no cause for the World War II. Japan just did it because Japan. That's that's that was in their nature. Whatever, but the last paragraph was basically thank God Barack Obama wasn't president then because <laughs> socialist <laughs> appeasers like Barack Obama would have given up and surrendered yeah. the country immediately because
1: sure.
0: because conservatives cannot take a piss
1: nope.
0: without screaming God damn you Obama into the toilet yeah. bowl yeah
1: well that, they, and that they, was the purpose of. Fox News having one of their interns spin the Rolodex and get John Bolton to come yeah. in yes. and make sure that Barack Obama is called a weak, spineless, appeaser of Nazis. Right. For for uh, and, you know, appeaser of Japan by going to Hiroshima and laying a wreath. Right. Uh, that that's just, you know, weakness. And and then you wonder how Donald Trump becomes your nominee. You
0: know, But uh, no, you don't.
1: <laughs> no, you, you don't. don't. Not and, at all.
0: And, and again. again if, if we had anything like journalists in this country,
1: yeah, yeah,
0: the complete mental breakdown of the Republican Party and the, the gutting of the party of Lincoln and replacing with a party of Jefferson Davis that's full to its eyeballs with bigots and imbeciles and gun nuts yeah. and God-bothering, you know, mm-hmm. science-hating lunatics, um, that would be a big story. But it mm-hmm. isn't a story. Instead, yeah. there's a lot of people like David Brooks and Michael Gerson. Mm-hmm. And Peggy – all the people who were happy to carry water for George W. Bush.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: Um, who worked – mm-hmm. um, who are rock-ribbed Republicans who are now completely unraveling in public. The delightful thing is because all these people are unfireable, no matter how fucking awful they are and how wrong they are and how stupid they are and how their predictions are disasters, they have columns. So they get to have this complete mental breakdown in public, mm-hmm. which for me is hilarious and very entertaining. It's not very lucrative. But it is very entertaining.
1: Well, I was just going to point out the mailing that I got yesterday and shared with Junior Dude Mm -hmm. from the Southern Poverty Law Center and how – and this is something David Brooks never talks about, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I've noticed. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I, I saved this map of the United States that that labeled all of the hate groups in America uh, by location (laughs) because Junior Dude, first of all, is a map guy. loves maps. second of all, it has charts on it. And it has lists of states, and it has lists of organizations, and it has a key, and, 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 and. has everything. everything. Oh, and it had a call for justice. Uh So it had everything that would push a junior dude button, and he sat there on the sofa, I, I swear, for 90 minutes with this one sheet of paper, with this one map going over each and every detail of where are the white supremacist groups, where are the Klan groups, where are the, you know, and, and and really analyzing why are there so many in Indiana? Well, the Klan was founded in Indiana, junior dude. And so, um, but going over this with him and there's this little chart at the bottom that shows the number of the number of hate groups that SP, that Southern Poverty Law Center
2: uh-huh.
1: has dealt with because they're the ones that sue the Klan. They're the ones that sue when there is a, uh, hate crime there. They go after hate crimes. And, um, He found some interesting stuff. They do not take any portion of the settlement that is made uh, to the victim. They are paid entirely through uh, their own judgment for court costs. So that's you know they they stay on the side of their of their client and the client gets the money and if the court awards legal fees they get the fees. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the number of hate groups once Barack Obama became president. You know, skyrocketed. Oh, yeah. Everybody, everybody yeah. knows that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it skyrocketed again in 2012. Yes. Uh, because it's time to turn out the Kenyan usurper, right? Right. And so along he's, with, he's analyzing sales. this, right? Along with gun he's, sales. Along with gun sales. Mm-hmm. He's analyzing this, you know. Okay, 2008. And then 2012 went up again. <laughs> and I just turned to you and I went, why does Barack Obama have to make everything about race? Exactly. <laughs> he's so divisive. <laughs>
0: I had to buy three more guns because he's about to seize my guns.
1: I had to form a hate club and join the Klan because Barack Obama is so divisive.
0: Well, and, and that that's sort of the, the the overarching theme of Gerson and Noonan and Sullivan mm-hmm. and Brooks and all those people. Yeah. Is they are – they are uh, they will talk about anything BCE or AD.
1: Yeah.
0: And BCE yep. is before the Clinton era. <laughs>
1: and,
0: and AD is after Donald. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because yeah. – they will talk about anything to do with in the midst, in the distant mists of the past when everything was great. Mm-hmm. and they'll talk about once Donald Trump is gone and everything is okay, then what's going to happen? Peggy Newton has this whole column where she just is obviously drunk off her ass. because mm-hmm. the whole co- column is, I'd like to make a prophecy. I prophesied that the basically the decent Democrats and the decent Republicans will shed their extreme party and form a third party that will be just all the perf-
1: Whigs, Right. Yeah. Right.
0: And be perfect for Peggy Noonan and David Brooks can come along too. It'll be a, a clubhouse. Um, but that's all, that'll all happen after Donald mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Michael Gerson <laughs> writes columns about, because of course, Hillary Clinton is unacceptable and monstrous and evil. Um, Michael Gerson also writes columns and, and about Donald Trump being, um, trading on conspiracy theories. Because Michael Gerson is a total right-wing Republican Catholic conservative.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, he served under George Bush. He was a policy advisor. He was a speechwriter. He was there when they, they uh, rat-fucked John McCain. Mm-hmm. He was there when Karl Rove was turned loose. Didn't say shit about it. Perfectly okay with Michael Gerson. Didn't quit in protest. Never raised an eyebrow. But now that Trump is coming along and is, is, is trading on all these weird conspiracy theories, Michael Gerson is perfectly willing to say the Republican Party went to hell in a handbasket just after Michael Gerson left. 2014 yep. or so, give or take. You know when the, as Michael Gerson was packing up his office to leave the White House, he suddenly noticed millions and millions and millions of bigots suddenly coming to the Republican Party. Oh my God, where do these people come from? Mm-hmm. And his columns are all of that tone. And I just, he first of all, he has one of the most punchable faces. <laughs> and I'm not saying you should do that. I'm just saying that if you see Michael Gerson on the street and you start calling him a liar and a shill and a hack and pointing at him in public and pointing out the fact that he was perfectly okay with the way the Republican Party was trading in conspiracy theories, murder theories, rape theories, drug conspiracies when Clinton was president and was perfectly happy with Karl Rove picking that shit up and running with it and was perfectly comfortable with Jerry Falwell blame 9-11 on lesbians in the ACLU, never, Mm -hmm. never had a problem with that. As long as it was lining Michael Gerson's pocket, as long as it was supporting his boss and getting his guy elected, Michael Gerson was perfectly okay to suck racist dick all day long and Mm -hmm. pretend it wasn't there because that was the trick. You needed people like Michael Gerson and David Brooks to dance around in the beltway so they could pretend that the, the Republican Party was this elite group of thoughtful policymakers as opposed to this, Monstrous army of bigots and morons.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And yeah. so now that that monstrous army has broken into the open and they have a new leader and his leader has orange hair and his leader says all the shit they've been saying all along, but says it out loud, Michael Gerson has to go into his newspaper column. And do what he did during the Bush administration. Lie and lie and lie and lie and lie about the mm-hmm. Republican Party. Oh, my God. Again, these bigots all showed up just as I was leaving. Isn't that a terrible thing? And you're going to have to live with the consequences if you back Donald Trump. That'll be hanging around your neck for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. You know, Kirsten, you built this shit. Right. Peter Sullivan, you built this shit. David Brooks, you built this shit. Newton, you built this shit. And you get to go down with that shit. And if it's if it's ever within my power to sink your career, or for one hot minute stand up in an auditorium and ask you what about the shit you pulled that created this, believe me, I will take advantage of that opportunity. But remember, the media exists to keep people like us the hell away. <laughs> <laughs> like <them. laughs> people like them. <David> <laughs> so <that> we, <laughs> we won't ask them these embarrassing questions about yeah what? Okay, history began when again? Because all the Tea Party batshit lunatics. Swear it began on January 2009, but you want us to believe it began on January 2014 or something like mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm, what happened to all mm-hmm. that shit that happened before then? Where did all those people go? What happened to all those Vince Foster humpers? All the people who, who swore that that the Clintons murdered all of their political opponents. Where do you think those people went? Who do you think they've been voting for all this time? When Karl Rove got George Bush elected by bashing gays explicitly, what yep. was your righteousness then? When George Bush lied us into a war, Michael Gerson, where was your indignation then? Where was your righteous indignation then?
1: When Karl Rove put anti-gay legislation on the ballot to win elections, to turn out out evangelicals and win elections. Where was your outrage then?
0: There was a nice thick wall between you and the monsters you were creating and you lived a very comfortable very privileged life on the other side of the wall. The white walkers were far away and you didn't have to worry about them one little bit. But now they're here. They're and now right you at want your to throw Castle
1: every... Gate crashing it. Yep. yep.
0: And now yep. you want to throw everyone else under the bus for being unrighteous and untrue.
1: And, and unprepared. Include... And unprepared. And, unprepared. Yes. and
0: I include um, Andrew Sullivan in this list because uh,
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: And uh, Bill and I'd like to add one more thing. I did put a little bit of a self-righteous post up today.
1: <laughs> <laughs> really? Yes,
0: I coined a phrase.
1: <laughs> Coining is It's hard a good phrase. Oh, no it's in, such a good phrase. Go
0: it's, ahead. It's Driftglass Vu. Driftglass
1: Vu. It's
0: the sensation that something you're reading in an op-ed today, oh, shit, didn't Driftglass write that 10 years ago? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. so Bill Moyers uh, goes to the um, salon today, and I like Bill Moyers. I think he's a great guy, uh, to write uh, a scathing uh, opinion piece about how Andrew Sullivan uh, likes to pretend that he wasn't ever a part of this shit, and that uh, he he's a member of some imaginary Republican Party that exists mm-hmm. out there that's being run by Michael Oatenshot, and that he had <laughs> nothing to do with this shit. And yeah, he kind of did, and yeah, he's lying about it. <laughs> like that sounds really familiar.
1: Hmm. Huh. So where did I, we
0: we having drift glass boo. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, and and this is but this is a constant thing, and not not uh, not Bill Moyers, but. Um, what I call the misremembrance of things past. Mm. Um, there are conservatives in my life, mm-hmm. uh, people I know and people I read, who are constant sort of enter- source of entertainment mm-hmm. because ask them point blank about like. Alberto Gonzalez. Alberto yeah. Gonzalez was a hero. Yeah.
1: Did you know yeah. that? He was John He was a fucking yeah. hero
0: who stood yep. up to the goddamn socialists who were still there from the <laughs> dims who were trying to destroy yep. this country until they finally yeah. drove him out. Bush was totally justified in going to the Iraq war. And, he, and, and, and you know what? He never bowed down to foreign dictators except for this picture where he's bowing down to foreign dictators. Mm-hmm, and, you know, mm-hmm. Barack Obama, his contempt for America shows in the way he put his shirt sleeves on in the Oval Office. Reagan never did that except here's a picture of Reagan doing that. Mm-hmm. And Barack Obama put his feet up on the goddamn desk in the White House. What sort of a a cavalier communist Kenyan bastard? Jab-ya. Oh yeah, there's Jab-ya. a picture of Debbie doing it and Gerald Ford doing it and mm-hmm. uh-huh. But here's the thing. Every time one of these false jag off outrage zits get popped, um fueled by something that Michael Levin or mm-hmm. <laughs> Sean Hannity or Bill O'Reilly says that these pinheads take for granted and because they are incapable of doing any research on their own. They just regurgitate this bullshit. Every time you point out to them, it, here's a picture of George Bush mouth-kissing the king of Saudi Arabia. Here is a picture of George Bush getting a medal from a foreign dictator. Here is George Bush literally bowing before a foreign dictator. Why was it okay then? The answer you always get back is to change the subject.
1: Yep. Or you know what? Well, you know, the Democrats, too. Both sides. Both sides. Everybody everybody does it. Yeah, but no,
0: no. Ten seconds, ten fucking seconds ago, you said it wasn't both sides. It was yeah. uniquely Barack Obama's hatred of America that made him put his feet up on the desk. Let's go back 10 minutes. But, of course, we don't do that. That's why you have Donald Trump as your candidate, because mm-hmm. what he said 10 minutes ago doesn't count. Mm-hmm. For normal people who aren't mentally ill conservatives, what he said 10 minutes ago actually counts. And trying to compare and contrast that what he's saying today is gives you headaches. For conservatives, the fact that he just lies constantly, makes shit up and disavows things he said at the beginning of a paragraph, by the end of the paragraph, is how their brains work. Yep. So yep. they're they're completely cool with that. Anyway, I'm off my. There's a
1: couple. Pots. There's a couple things I want to just sum up with. Uh-huh. Uh huh. One is to just talk about in a very positive way mm-hmm. um, the opportunity for the future of the Democratic Party. Uh, you know, the the Sanders movement can very easily become the future of the Democratic Party. Oh yeah, Party. it is. And I think it is. Um, And rather than look at sort of what has happened in this primary process as a fight, I've been looking at it, especially today, as um, a learning process and an opportunity for people to actually learn how to do politics. I've been thinking a lot about um, a man that my ex-husband wrote a book about, uh, William Kunstler, who was the attorney for the Chicago 7. I've just been thinking about the 60s Uh because it was LBJ thing. Yeah, Um, He had a really clear sense of how to manipulate uh, public opinion by making sure that he had the microphone and he had the the way to slant, the way to spin things. He was a very good uh, representative of radical politics and using the judicial system to get what you wanted because he knew to to keep the subject on what you wanted to talk about Uh and make sure you didn't lose that narrative and that you had the microphone outside the courtroom to say, and and the speeches that he gave out, somebody should publish those, the speeches he gave outside the courtroom weren't just about my client. They were about justice being done for the oppressed, blah, 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 Mm -hmm. you know, African Americans, social justice, uh, civil rights, you know, he made it about the subject that he wanted it to be. And pushed the narrative right. to the way the way he wanted, and i've been having long conversations on Twitter with people who are upset about um a chairman of a convention seconding her own emotion her own motion on the floor of a Nevada convention mm-hmm. and having and 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 i've had to say this to one person like four times and said you do realize no one is really talking about that except for extreme Sanders partisans because everybody is talking about these awful voicemails. Right. And rather than relitigate, I'm not going to relitigate Nevada. No. Just say you can't lose the microphone. Right. You, if you dock somebody and all of a sudden the C word and the B word and, mm-hmm. and stuff is going on against a volunteer woman mm-hmm. who can then claim victimhood, whether she is or not, and and I have strong feelings that she is. Uh, I also have strong feelings that the people doing that were not representative of Sanders supporters. Mm -hmm. But all of that aside, the microphone got lost. Yes, it did. And fixing the process of conventions and primaries and caucuses and how we fix things, uh, you know, the Sanders folks are going to have a lot of say in that. I really do believe they will. There are times in politics where showing up to a rally and just being a body in the room is it, is exactly what you need, and yeah. you need to you need to recruit by Reddit and so forth. They will, uh, but they lost the microphone at that moment to say to to make the case for change because of the doxing and and the language that was used in those voicemails, mm-hmm. and that's a lesson learned, hopefully
0: and, and for here's, a lot of folks. And, and- Remember, I hate to paint in broad brush, but I always do. So I'll do it anyway. <laughs> the media wants the other story. Yeah, they do. They want yep. the blood and riot and they want they don't want to, They don't want to report on procedural matters that are really important.
1: Mm-hmm. And you're
0: on the right. If mm-hmm. there's and something
1: reform, they don't want to no. report on the long, difficult, bit, brass knuckle on paper reform that we have to do.
0: Right. right. It's and so if there's an, any chance at all to go report on tear gas being fired Right. That's where right. they're going
1: to go. Right. And and that's the thing with people. I, I wish everyone thinking about protesting at a Donald Trump rally, you know, could could learn from William Kunstler and, and learn from the Chicago 7 and so on and so forth. It's, it's not about the cops. It's about the fire marshal, right. <laughs> you know, right. Don't do anything to piss off the fire marshal. If you piss off the fire marshal, he has the authority, he or she, has the authority to shut your shit down. Immediately. And if there's too many people in the building, the fire marshal can come in, no matter what you're talking about, no matter how important it is, no matter how much it's going to change the world, the fire marshal can walk in and say, whoop, too many people in the room, shut that shit down. Uh And everyone is on the fire marshal's side. Because it's about public safety. It's not about you and your issue. So when you set T-shirts on fire in the, in, outside a Trump rally, the fire marshal can come in and shut you down. And it has nothing to do with how uh, pro-immigrant and pro-racial equality and nope. pro this. It has nothing to do with that. No. And so you know, some of these lessons are in just um, connecting your frontal lobe to the rest of your brain <laughs> well, long I- enough to, to see you don't want to be shitting in your own punch bowl. I- you, know, you don't want to be ruining your own cause. Yeah. Making a mistake that that when you know ahead of time you don't have to make. And, and since yeah. we
0: have Science Fiction University coming up, yeah, um, let me just say what I why always I have been asked to edit a thousand thousand speeches in my life, <laughs> and uh, hundreds and thousands of stories and documents and presentations and so forth. I believe me, I have a I used to have a rich and varied and somewhat profitable life uh, doing all those other things, um, and I'm very good at them. So send me your stuff and with a check and we'll talk. <clears throat> but Here's the thing. My first question is always the same. Who's your audience? Who are you trying to convince? Are you trying to convince the mayor to do something? Are you trying to convince city council to do something? Are you trying to convince this board of regents to do something? Are you trying to convince – are you trying to sell a story to a particular magazine? Who's your audience? Mm -hmm. If Mm -hmm. you are protesting, your audience is never the people who you're protesting against because they're never going to change their mind. You want the cameras on you. The camera is your audience. You want them to love you. To go, Mm -hmm. look at those lovely, thoughtful, peaceable, justifiably angry people who are keeping it in check despite the fact the system is shitting all over them. By God, is there anything we can do to help them? Can we write them a check? There's a
1: reason why hippies made friends with radical priests and nuns, folks. Yeah. Having a habit, a woman in a habit, in a nun's habit, Uh marching with you. You think a sheriff is going to come over and beat her up? No.
0: Well, Maybe in Chicago. (laughs) After dark, you know, but that's the exception. So so the point is not to give your principles away. Don't Mm -hmm. protest. Whatever you do, just stay at home and be angry on Twitter and never get involved. No, 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 the the opposite is true. You should get involved. You should protest. You should step out of your safe zone. You should engage with the other side. But please understand what your ultimate goal is and who your audience is at any given moment. Mm -hmm. And, And gifted politicians like Johnson and like King understood and Reagan, one of the things I, I learned from Rick Perlstein's uh, autobiography or biography of Reagan mm-hmm. uh, was Reagan always knew where the camera was.
1: Yep. yep. Always, and if it was on or not. And yep. he knew
0: exactly where it was, exactly who the audience was and exactly how to play to them. And in that sense, he was a truly gifted politician and mm-hmm. persuader. He mm-hmm. knew what to say to each group to get it, get what he wanted done done. Mm-hmm. Uh, his agenda mm-hmm. was atrocious. But he yeah. was very good at pursuing it. And and it's in the Sanders movement to be that. Yeah. Bernie Sanders yeah. is the person they should be modeling. Bernie Sanders has message discipline like almost no oh politician my God. I've ever seen. Absolutely. He stays
1: on He stayed on message for wrap, thirty years. Yeah. And yeah.
0: wrapped whatever was going on at the moment into the message.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, yep. and didn't insult people and didn't say your issue's irrelevant to me, but but adopted it and said, I understand, I agree. I believe the larger issue, however, is income inequality, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. here's why. And and had the shit down and still does. He's mm-hmm. a great model of how to proceed against overwhelming odds yep. and get yourself right to the finish line and mm-hmm. with your dignity intact and the respect of people that who might disagree with you intact. Um, and so you know, <laughs> be like Bernie.
1: Yeah. Well, and I'm go- we're going to end with a Bible bitch then.
0: Oh, really? Okay. Bible bitch.
1: That's not scriptural. Uh, James. Book of James. Post this at all the intersections, dear friends. Lead with your ears, follow up with your tongue, and let anger straggle along in the rear. God's righteousness doesn't grow from human anger. So throw all spoiled virtue and cancerous evil in the garbage. In simple humility, let our gardener, God, landscape you with the word, making a salvation garden of your life. Anyone who sets himself up as religious by talking a good game is self-deceived. This kind of religion is hot air and only hot air. Real religion, the kind that passes muster before God the Father, is this. Reach out to the homeless and loveless in their plight and guard against corruption from the godless world. Amen. Yeah, amen to that. Each week we post to our Facebook page and website an Internet Kitty sent in by you, the listeners. This week's Internet Kitty is Sophie. Sophie is 11 years old. She is a Russian blue with Russian blue temperament. Sophie likes to brood. Her constant sorrow is that she had to surrender her winter castle to the Bolsheviks' drift glass.
0: Oh, so sorry for so. Sophie says, you you Americans know nothing of oppression. <laughs> 700 years of oppression. You're, 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 the worst of your cursing is as the babbling of little
1: children. <laughs> so so now the least everyone else can do for Sophie is to allow her some quietude in the bathroom sink. Leave her alone.
0: Leave her alone. I must be alone with my thoughts.
1: <laughs> so go visit Sophie and her sorrows. <laughs> Yes. She actually looks very happy, but you didn't hear that from me. No, Sophie and Her Sorrows is a great band
0: <laughs> name, though. Run Sophie with it. and
1: Her Sorrows, yeah. <laughs> Go visit Sophie at our Facebook page and website. You can send your internet kitty to us at our email address, proleftpodcast at gmail.com, where you can also write to both of us. Feel free to write us. We love hearing from you. Be aware that if you write us at any of our addresses, we reserve the right to read your email or U.S. Postal Service. Go Postal Unions! Letter on the air, unless you say otherwise. Don't forget our gourmet coffee guideline. If you can afford to buy an espresso-based beverage for yourself, buy one for us. And don't forget our Amazon link at our website. We believe in buying local, and we also believe in shopping Amazon with our link if your alternative is a big box store. Approximately 1% of our listeners support this podcast with a contribution, and you can too. See our website, professionalleft.blogspot.com, for details. Both our PayPal and postal address information is there at professionalleft.blogspot.com. Please rate our show on iTunes or Stitcher Radio, and thank you for doing that. Hey, Glass, how are the Internet kitties doing this week? Well, Blue Gal, the Internet kitties have
0: actually left for the long weekend already. And by left, we mean nap, and by weekend, we mean any time they damn well feel like it. Let's think about living.
2: Think about lovin', just think
0: about lovin', just think about the hoopin' and the hoppin' and the poppin' and the lovin', lovin',
2: lovin', 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 lovin'. Let's forget about the whine, and the crying, the shootin' and the dying, and the fellow with a switchblade knife, let's think about living. let's think about livin', life.
0: The Professional Love Podcast is recorded under a Creative Commons license, copyright 2016, Drift Glass, Blue Gal Podcast. Minecraft is awesome. Now it's time for Science Fiction University with our science fiction expert, Jeff Glass.
1: Science Fiction University, today we are reading two more of your stories. These are both based on the fish picture, as we have been calling it. Yes. Uh, we have two pictures out there on our Facebook page and Twitter stream. They have, one is a picture of wooden buildings on one side and a, uh, Water area on the other with a very a, large object in it that looks like a, a body fish, of
0: water. Yes, Right.
1: Mm-hmm. The other is a man surrounded by a computer tape that also has musical notes. But today, both of these stories, again, are the fish picture. And I think mm-hmm. uh, we we see a challenge with these. Is that right? Yes. And a challenge with this picture. Um, do you want to talk about that first, or stories. do you want to read the stories first?
0: Well, uh, let me just say up front both the stories delighted our cats.
1: <laughs> they did.
0: Because they're, they're, they're a about story
1: fish. about a fish. Yeah. The
0: story about fish. And fish are delicious. I and, <laughs> and
1: love stories and movies about a yes. fish. Yes.
0: Um, and that <clears throat> uh, I will recount in advance a conversation I had with my friend Phyllis,
1: mm-hmm.
0: who's a noted science fiction and fantasy author.
1: And friend and of George who, R. R. Martin, right? And
0: and had one of the books, uh, one of his books, book number two, I think, is dedicated to her. You got to put in dragons, George, and so he did. And so I, I was uh, chatting with her or emailing her uh, some time ago about Game of Thrones, which I had not read. I, mm-hmm. I uh, the millions and millions of pages uh, I had not read, but I noticed on the show opening certain characteristics happening that involved a son. And the curvature of the world so that – are they inside of a ring world? Mm -hmm. Is this some sort of um, lost human colony that has uh, – was sent here tens of thousands of years ago and has lost its own history and is fighting the locals in a – is this a science fiction story?
2: Yeah. And Phil said no. (laughs) No. It's not
0: science fiction. (laughs) There are no – there's no mechanisms. There's magic. There's dragons. There's chicks. There's damsels in distress. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are men swinging swords. Evil fantasy. queens.
1: There are evil yeah. queens, you know. Yeah.
0: And, and you know, and you have, you have fire breathers, and you have the dead rising, and so forth. Um, you know, which you can make work in a science fiction story. You and I've seen people do it, but no, this is a fantasy story. Everything is is um, driven by magic, and um, by magical beings, and uh, there are rules in fantasy. I mean, don't. It's not just anything goes but they are radically different than science fiction. Mm-hmm. And so and that, that's a distinction you have to understand. The reason I say that is we, we received two very good offerings this week. Yes. Um, both of which could very well become science fiction ten pages from now.
1: Or even three sentences later after sure. what we're going to read to you. Right.
0: But the parts that we were given are, as they stand now, are not science fiction. Okay. Not they're not badly written. They're no, not no, no.
2: flawed yeah, or defective yeah. in any way.
0: They're just not science fiction. And it's a really and it's it's important to know that a because it's called Science Fiction University. <laughs> but b if you're going to send a, something out for publication, if you're going to submit for an audience to read,
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, they're expecting certain things. Mm-hmm. If they're a fantasy audience or a science fiction audience, and there's enormous crossover between the two. There's there you know we share a lot of DNA with the fantasy folks and vice versa. Yeah. So don't think that we are warring camps, no. although each does, in the privacy of their own convention suite, look down their nose at the other. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's what family fights look like. Yeah, but there's a lot of crossover between the two, especially in the comic book world um, and the, the fan fiction extensions of things. Uh, but yeah. these are two these are two as they stand out, these are two fantasy stories. Um, that could be science fiction with a, if they take a turn, but they haven't. So we're going to read them as such and then critique them as stories. But letting you know, that's yep. what we're doing.
2: The yep. first story and... is
0: from Bowtie Jack. And Bowtie uh, submitted uh, more work than we needed. <laughs> so, yeah, he,
1: longer. He, he submitted more than four paragraphs. Yeah. And because of time and because of my editing abilities and time to do that, we're going to read four paragraphs of his yeah. story, of his submission. Uh, and we chose uh, coherent stream paragraphs uh, so that it would tell a story. But we only right. picked four paragraphs out of what he wrote. So
0: She's, she's lying. We cut out all the parts that reference science fiction just to <laughs> no make Bowtie Jack look bad. <laughs> Why did you do the assignment, Bowtie Jack? No, it's, it's fine. Uh, these are just the sort, of, sort of the four key paragraphs in in the work that he submitted. And you're, it begins.
1: You're an asshole sometimes. I know. I you know. know. That?
0: Sometimes, sometimes I am. <laughs> Sometimes I that's why I founded right. my own university. So I could be the <laughs> Chancellor and do whatever I want. Wait it's, a minute. It's
1: Trump University. Wait a minute.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so suddenly I'm I'm the Ken Star of Science Fiction University. See, see. Yeah, I get demoted for being an asshole.
1: Yeah. <laughs> All <laughs> right. That was indestructible. All right, ready? Moving on. Uh,
0: here we go. A lot of people in the stacked houses had worked on maintaining the dam VAM. One morning, mother said. They woke up and there was no dam, but just the water wall. A lot of people got scared and moved away, but others moved into the abandoned homes and life had gone on just without the dam and with the water wall just looming there. Mother said she was afraid that someday something would happen that would change everything and turn the water loose. In particular, that maybe some stupid child would throw a rock or something at the water wall and break it and that would be the end of of us all. And the end of all the people downstream, too, or where downstream had used to be, she said, when water had flowed out through the sluice gates of the dam, whatever they were. Of course, because the old riverbed was so fertile, people had planted maize crops all over it and started raising cows and chickens there. One morning, early, Mother gave me some lace she had tatted and told me to go down and trade for a pail of milk when the dairymaid came in from the settlement. So I belted the rough tunic on my loincloth, slid on the knit slippers with the felt soles she had made, and went down the ladder to the roof of the house below us. There was a wide eave there that went all the way around on the end, and you could stand there and look right into the water wall. Sometimes you could see schools of little fish chasing each other back and forth. And sometimes there were big fish like logs that would drift by and come back again and then lazily drift back and forth. I wondered if maybe they were looking out of the water wall and could see me the way I could look out a window and see a bird. That morning, though, when I came around the eve, I almost fell off the roof. There was the biggest fish I'd ever seen, bigger than any of the men's boats, almost as big as one of the houses, up against the water wall. And it was most definitely staring right back at me.
1: There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So as you can see, unless what is going to happen is we're going to discover that there's a alien implanted machine under the earth that is keeping the water wall going or perhaps, as you said earlier to me, this is post-apocalyptic in some way uh-huh. where it's the shed aquarium and we find out that this whale is a mechanical or is a real whale that was at the shed aquarium and is the most intelligent. Being.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. Talking, people, talking
1: whales would be fantasy, but
0: no, no, not yeah. at all. The, the uplift. Uh, David Brin, I think, has an uplift series where human beings uplift various species and get in trouble for oh. doing so. So a talking whale, an evolutionary um, leap forward.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That would be that'd be fine. If it's a magic talking whale <laughs> that grants <laughs> your wishes, then, yeah, that's fantasy. Mm -hmm. But you can you can make uh, a whale into an intelligent, communicating creature without a whole lot of trouble. And yeah, if if it's this could be the world after Cat's Cradle, where uh, if you you remember in Kurt Vonnegut's Cat's Cradle, the Earth is destroyed, uh, completely destroyed, we believe, by the introduction of Ice-9 into the ecosystem, which makes water um, freeze at 70 degrees or whatever it is. So basically all the water on earth instantly freezes and kills everyone um, because they can't drink any of it. This could be a little outpost of a place that has found a way to deconstitute or something. There's lots of things you could do.
1: This next one is from Paul. The dream came again last night. It follows on from where it left off the last time, taking me further along the story. At first it was just water seeping up through the dry sand where our crops struggled in their sear rows, darkening the yellow-brown dust. Then it would begin to trickle through the rows and deepen, swirling around the stalks of bioengineered sorghum and millet. The water would run up against the rough pickets of the fence that separated it from the yard from where I watched and begin to fill the field beyond. I never questioned the dream logic that such a rickety, gap-toothed barrier should hold back the flood so completely. In later dreams, when the water reached the top of the fence instead of spilling over, it continued to deepen, as though held back by a sheet of perfect, invisible glass. The muddy blue water would rise above the fence top, above the plant stalks, above my head, rising against the wooden frontage of our homestead built into the cliffside. For days afterward, working in the yard, I would be surprised to look over the fields and see the stalks buffeted by the dusty wind, rather than swaying steadily beneath the deep blue water. The first time I had to cross through the fence into the field, it almost felt like breaking through some strange surface tension. Now, tonight in my sleep, the water fills all the way to the top of the cliff, as once it had, supposedly, when this had been a lake in my grandfather's grandfather's time. And the cliff top itself is transformed, covered with sweet green grass and trees heavy with impossibly plump apples, instead of the dry, wind-blasted surface that forces us to shelter inside the cliff and coax crops from the old lake bed. I watch as usual from the yard where our scrawny chickens peck after grubs in the hard ground transfixed by the blue wall before me. When I see something move something huge and dark, just a shadow obscured by distance and sediment at first, it moves closer and is caught in the shimmer of light that penetrates the rippling water above. Really beautiful writing. Both of these. Yes.
2: Um, Very lovely.
1: I, uh, Noticed just in doing um, a little recall. Uh huh. I I really love the passage. Rise above the fence top, rise above the plant stalks, above my head. Yes. It's very poetic. Yeah. Um. And grandfather's grandfather's time is really beautiful. Uh, the blue wall, and and a shadow obscured by distance and sediment at first. You know that all of that really works. Yeah, sweet um, grass and plump, scrawny chickens, and, and, and yeah. yeah, I mean it's all very visual, and mm-hmm. uh, but it's all a dream, and that makes it fantasy unless we see that the dream is being manipulated by some technology or alien or in some yeah. way uh, part of a larger plan to organize human beings via dreams. I mean, there's all kinds of ways you could go science fiction with that uh you know you could make this a um dream journal of a subject in a laboratory <laughs> right I mean mm-hmm. then it all of a sudden it's science fiction this is the first page in italics of a dream journal of a character who is whose dreams are being manipulated in order to fill in the blank right so
0: or uh, you can or he's I mean there's a lot you can do here the 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 difficulty at, at this point is that Everything in here is a dream. Yep, yep. And it's a series of dreams. We don't know what's going on when the person's awake. We don't know where he lives. If there is a difference between the two, um, then I'm not sure what I can... I can't see it. There are... There are mentions of the passage of time four days afterward working in the yard. Um, I would be surprised to look over the field. That might be his daily life it probably is but i'm not sure um because there's very little distinction between waking life and sleeping life here um yeah right he's living in a dust bowl eking uh, it appears to be he's he and his family are living in a dust bowl eking a living from you know a very hard scrabble life
2: Mm
0: -hmm. and is dreaming of Uh, water filling up the world the way it used to be a million years ago or thousands of years ago, generations ago. That's fine. Uh, I just don't know how that makes this science fiction.
1: Yeah, well, and and I also want to say the reason that we're saying make it into science fiction is not a quality judgment. No. Because both of you, both of these writers could say, no, I'm writing fantasy yeah, go off fine. and make you. You've got the quality there to do make a really good fantasy story. It's just mm-hmm. a question of the name of the show is Science Fiction University. Right. So, uh, you know, if you sent this to Science Fiction and Fantasy Magazine in yeah. uh, in response to a query for a fantasy story, hey, you win. You're there. So, uh, you know, that's not. We're not passing value judgments on these stories. We're saying nope. the the. Uh, world in which we are trying to publish these things is to make it science fiction. So uh, next time we do these stories, I think Driftglass, we should say, you know, make sure within, within the, the criterion for submission, Mm -hmm. uh, two things. One, read your story out loud to yourself before you submit it. And number two, Uh um, because that really helps. That really helps you see where the typos are. Also just what, what works and what doesn't. And uh, secondly, um, make sure that it contains some element that indicates that it's science fiction. So we yeah. will do that.
0: And the word bioengineered is in here, and that's
1: fine. Yeah, well, and I saw that, and I thought, oh, you know, mm-hmm. when I read okay. it for the first time to you back in the bedroom, we, which is when we sit on the bed and read these out loud to each other, by the way, people. Uh, we do the... Um, I saw that, and I thought, aha, here, it's, here it goes. You know, here it's yeah. going to go into science fiction, and then it didn't. And that, like I said, that's not a value judgment. That's just... No. Uh, we're looking for stories to do that because that's the criterion that we're looking for. So
0: and, and Monsanto, I'm sure, currently has bioengineered.
1: <laughs> I'm sure there are bioengineering, bio-engineering ponds so, with whales and and is, uh, copywriting them so that is, no one can can one, uh, one have the, flaws, the water supply. Right. One of
0: the problems with modern science fiction, as as my friend Phyllis used to say, is is science keeps catching up with science fiction.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So. Um,
1: or no, maybe, and, and evil corporations keep, keep keep catching up with fiction too. Between yeah, out, Nestle out and Monsanto, the food and water supplies are just kind of whoo, so.
0: Again, escapist literature, my ass. <laughs> um, or maybe next time to make it clear, we'll just do the artwork. Will be a bug-eyed monster holding a blonde with big See? tits.
1: See, there you and, go. To be there very clear. Well, and I think we did sort of lead people into a more naturalistic yeah. writing exercise with that picture. Yes, we yeah. did. So,
0: And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I, don't, I take
1: beautiful. responsibility for that.
0: Yeah. yeah. No, o- Octavia Butler writes yeah. beautiful natural, wrote beautiful naturalistic fiction mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. post-apocalyptic dried out world yep. uh, where people are, you know, scraping by. Lots of writers do. And, uh, and more power to them. The better you're writing, the more compelling and moving and... and deeply embedded in visual images and evocative it is the better it is Mm -hmm. um so don't don't let that you know don't let that slide um but i got i gotta get my science fiction there (laughs) gotta get some science fiction going (laughs) anyway good job to both of you keep the keep working um and we're gonna keep working through our our pile of um submissions until we reach the end and then we're gonna do something else
1: yeah and uh we'll be back next week with more science fiction university we will Love you, Drift Class.
0: Love you. And have a have a great uh, three-day weekend, everyone.
1: Yeah. Have oh, and weekend. yeah. Happy, happy Stepfather's Day, Drift Class.
0: Oh, yes. That's what we...
1: <laughs> Memo- because the kids go away for the summer and the are with their day. dad on Seven. Father's Day, which is totally appropriate. Yep. We make Memorial Day, you know, which is right at the end of the school year, we make that Stepdad's Day. Yes. So that's going to be fun. All I'm right.
0: Spend my Stepdad's Day driving people around.
1: You will. <laughs> you totally will. that As usual.
0: <laughs> Making pancakes, driving people around, that's, but that's okay. That's,
1: that's, that's okay. Instead this of is the bad. That's what you do.
0: If yeah. I may quote, uh, uh, what's his name from Godfather Two? This is the work we have chosen, Michael.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I keep trying to break out, and they keep pulling me in.
0: Oh no, we don't talk about Godfather Three on this podcast. Ah! The one that ruined the franchise. We don't talk about that. I love you, darling.
1: Hey, love you too. Bye, uh, everybody.
0: Bye, everyone.